Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, D, part 2. We started verse 3, part D, and we didn't get through with it last week. We, we kind of introduced ourselves to the last part of Hebrews. We just started a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I guess it is now, going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to go through the whole book from, from start to finish. If you don't know, I'll remind you. You can find any of, our, any of our sermons online at the church website, enterprisebaptist.church. There's a lot of information on there, so if you haven't checked it out, you may want to check that out about uh, different things that are upcoming and, and old recipes and things like that. It's a good resource for you to check out. And also, if you miss a sermon or want to catch up on something, a series that we've gone through or go back to a past series, you can find all of those uh, by going to enterprisebaptist.church. Uh, But today we will be in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We've been in verse 3 for a few weeks now. We're we're really breaking it down and digging into the different different parts of it. And um, we may finish it up today. We'll see. We may finish it up today. But we will read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Then we'll pray and we'll jump in. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, and I pray, God, that now in this moment, your Holy Spirit would rest on this place, God that you would free our mind of the distractions and the worries and the stresses and the pains of this world, God. We come here today, and God, I I hope that we all come here today to find you. Dear Lord, we come here, and, and, and we all live in this world that is just full of all kind of mess, dear Lord, and the stresses that we go through. And dear Lord, we We long for something better, and we come here today to read your word, to learn about your son, God so that we find something better in Jesus Christ this morning. So God, I pray that you would help us to find you, that we would not sit on these pews and hear the words and not listen to them. But God, that you would cause us to to hear what you say, that our attention would be on you, that your Holy Spirit, God, has already prepared our heart and is preparing our heart for your word. And God, every word that comes from my mouth will be a word that comes from you, God, so that you would be glorified through what we see today. God, let us rejoice in the victory of Jesus Christ, God, and let each one of us today be those who can leave this room knowing that we share in Jesus and the victory he has given us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at kind of the last part of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we kind of introduced ourselves to the topic and, and, and what does that mean? What does that mean for us? It means that we have hope, praise the Lord. Before Jesus came on to the scene, the world was a pretty bad place. The world was full of sin and the world was full of evil and not so different in the world today. As Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Quite frankly, the world today doesn't really look any different than it did in Jesus' day and the thousands of years before. Sure, technology has changed, but people have not changed, and the world is the same. 
And Jesus came onto the scene, and even though Jesus came and gave his life and was crucified and resurrected, in almost every way our world still looks the same, but there is something that is different now. You see, before Jesus came onto the scene, there was no hope. There was no power to overcome the wages of sin. There was no way to be delivered. There was, there was no strength to be found, no real strength that was going to be an eternal strength. That's really the strength that we need to be forgiven and to be delivered. And Jesus came and he brought that to us. So what Jesus brought, when it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus brought with him hope. And in essence, he made the world a better place. The world was a better place for Jesus when he left than it was when he found it. When Jesus sat at the right hand of God, he said, I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you something better to look to than what you see in the world. And that's what we talked about last week, is that when we see Jesus seated on the throne, Paul tells us to look above, look to the things that are above, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so we must look past the things that we see in this world, and we must look to the good of God and to the hope that comes through Jesus Christ, a hope that we need today because we live in this world, and it is really hard. But Jesus tells us today through God's Word, God tells us through His Word, look, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is deliverance, there is strength. And that's what is important about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God. It's that Jesus was successful in everything He came to do. When Jesus came, He lived out the will of God. He did everything that God willed. He established the kingdom of God and He made purification sins. Those are all the things that Jesus came to do. And when the scripture tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the scripture tells us it is finished, that Jesus has accomplished his work. And through the work that Jesus did, there is victory, victory that Jesus desires to share with you and I, should we put our faith and trust in him. Now we see that this is an important, important idea that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. We looked at a lot of passages that talked about what that means in the Old Testament, that that means God's strength and God's power, and what it means in the Old Testament that he, Jesus is seated in a place of a king at the right hand of God on a throne. And it is important to know that this is not something that just, that, just, that just came up all of a sudden, but this is part of God's plan from the beginning. We talked last week how Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be one who was going to come, and he was going to, be, he was going to come from the line of David. He was going to be a king from the line of David. But not only did Jesus come to be a king from the line of David, but Jesus was enthroned before he even came from the line of David. One important passage that we see referenced in the book of Hebrews, and we didn't touch on it last week, but we will briefly today, is Psalm 110. Now, you can read that this week. I'd encourage you to. It's a short chapter. But Psalm 10, verse 1 uh, excuse me, Psalm 110, verse 1 says this This is the declaration of the Lord. To my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, this is the Psalm of David, and David is recording what appears to be an interaction here between God and between Jesus. And here we see, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, who is being spoken of here? 
Now, you probably will notice, and you may have noticed this before in your Bible and didn't realize that it was there, but sometimes in your Bible you see the word Lord, and it's in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's there for a purpose. It's different from where the first letter of Lord is capitalized and the rest are lowercase. When we see the word Lord in all caps, that's the personal name of God. That's Yahweh. So when it says the Lord here, it's talking about God. But then it says the Lord said to my Lord, that is to David's Lord. Now who in the world is this speaking of? Well, this is speaking of Jesus. God says to Jesus. Now, you may say that's, that's not obvious for us in this passage, and maybe it's not obvious in this passage. However, Jesus brings some clarity to this very passage in Matthew chapter 22. When he asked those who were, who were around him, he said, who do you think uh, the Messiah's son is? And they said, he is the son of David, which is right, because that's what the scripture says, that there's going to be a king that's going to sit on the throne that's going to come from the family line of David. So they were right in that, and that the Messiah was going to come through David and therefore be eligible to be the king of God's people, at least in the way God had laid out the earthly kingship. And Jesus acknowledged, okay, you're right that he's going to come from David, but then Jesus brings this passage up, and he says, well, wait a minute. How, how is it if he's going to come from David, how is it that David says in Psalm 110 verse 1 that the Lord said to my Lord? If the Messiah is coming from David, then how is David acknowledging the Messiah who is existing before him in Psalm chapter 110 verse 1? So the idea that Jesus was going to come and be seated on the throne and was going to be the king is an idea that we see way back in the Old Testament. We see that clearly, and what we see when we see all of these passages in the New Testament, and we see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, what we see is that this is a fulfillment of that, of that one who was to come. And so Jesus has come, and he has fulfilled everything that he has to do, and it is finished. And because Jesus fulfilled all he had to do, he has the power and authority from God. Now we see that spelled out for us uh, clearly. We see a couple of important things at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, and at the end of Mark, in Mark chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, that is his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, this is significant. That Jesus did the work, but what Jesus did was he paved the way for you and I. What Jesus did was he overcame the things that you and I cannot overcome. And because Jesus has overcome those things, Jesus has gained victory over sin. Jesus has gained victory over death. And so it's a struggle for us. We don't have the strength to overcome sin because we've never been able to do so. But we have one in Jesus Christ who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet he is without sin. So he is the one that we look to. He is the one who is seated on the throne that has the authority, that has the power, that has the victory, and wants to give that victory to you and I. So all authority has been given to Jesus. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 19, it says, Then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus accomplished his work. He gained all authority, and he's seated at the right hand of God. So that's it for Jesus. We talked about last week the, the, the priesthood. Jesus came. He was a better priest. 
He offered a better sacrifice than the priest who came before. Hebrews says that the priesthood of the Old Testament, the priest stood day after day after day. That is, their work was not complete. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of God with all authority. Okay, so what does that mean for us? What's the application? That's what we're going to talk about today. What does that mean for us? Jesus' work has done. He came and he, he left the world a better place than when he found it. He brought hope and he brought victory and is seated at the right hand of God. But our work is just beginning. Even though Jesus has established the kingdom of God, even though Jesus has done his work, Jesus now calls you and I to complete his work, to finish the work that he, that he, that he started, to tell people about God, to tell people about Jesus, to tell people that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that forgiveness comes through none other than Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. So Jesus says, I have done all that needs to be done. I have received all authority. And therefore, with my authority, I'm giving you my power, those of you who put my, your faith and trust in me, to go out and do the work. And then in Matthew 28, after he tells them he has authority, he says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, I have all authority. My work is done. Everything is set up for you. I have established the kingdom of God. Now God is calling you to do the will of God. Now God is calling you to continue to build the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives his disciples and you and I a command there. Therefore, with my authority, with my power that you will have through me, I'm sending you out into the world to do my work. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by accompanying signs. So we have work to do. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, praise the Lord. In that we have hope. In that we know that there is victory. But our work has just begun. When Jesus' work finished, Jesus told his followers, now it's your turn to continue the work. And praise the Lord, he gives us the strength to do that because the work is difficult, right? We look out into our world and our world is in a bad shape. And we say, if I speak out for the Lord, what's that going to look like? What are people going to do to me? People don't want to hear the message of God. Well, guess what? They didn't want to hear it when Jesus came preaching and teaching either. And what did they do for Jesus? They nailed him to a cross. To live for God and to take a stand for God and to do the work for God is not, or I will say very seldom is it easy, perhaps at times, and oftentimes it's really, really difficult. But yet that is what God has called us to do. That is what Jesus has sent us to do. And Jesus has given us the example of what it means to follow the will of God. Even when it's tough, as he prayed in the garden, he said, God, let this cup pass from me. That is, this difficulty that's about to take place. That they're fisting to beat me and they're fisting to mock me and they're fisting to nail me to a cross. And Jesus says, God, if there is any other way, let this pass from me. But God, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's, it's hard sometimes to live and follow the will of God, but Jesus says it's worth it. 
It's worth it to follow the will of God. And so Jesus calls us to do the same thing. Now, we cannot do that on our own strength. But praise the Lord, Jesus gives the example and he gives us the strength so that we can do what he's called us to do. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, You will have suffering in this world. And we can all certainly say that that is true. There is plenty of suffering in this world. Just normal day-to-day -day life, the things that we put up with, the stresses of work, the stresses of family, loss and sickness and pain and sorrow and worry and stress. Like, we get that. This world is full of trouble. And then when we begin to live for Jesus and try to live for him all the more and try to do what is right, the temptations come, and they are difficult, and sin begins to get into our life, and then we try to take a stand, and then people come against us for taking a stand for God and, and preaching and teaching God's Word and trying to, to, to live by what God says. And man, it is tough. And Jesus was certainly right when he said, you will have suffering in this world. But praise the Lord, he didn't stop there. He followed that up by saying, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now that's good news for us because sometimes this world looks like it is too much for us to bear. It is too heavy for us. But Jesus says, when the world is too much, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I quote that passage all the time, but it is so good. And maybe we need to hear it all the time because every week, you know, we come, maybe we read God's word on our own. We read it here in God's house and hopefully God's word uplifts us and encourages us and strengthens us. And then we leave these doors and we go back to work tomorrow and then bam, I mean, it's just right back at you. The world just hits you so hard. And Jesus said, look, there is going to be suffering in this world. But Jesus himself says, be courageous. Maybe you need to hear Jesus saying that to you today. Maybe, maybe if nothing else, if you don't get anything else from this message, maybe just those two words will be an encouragement for you today that Jesus tells you today to be courageous. And how can we be courageous in a world that's falling apart around us? We can be courageous because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the world that is crashing in on us has been overcome by Jesus Christ. It has been conquered by Jesus. And so when we see this language that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, we need to gain strength from those words. Let's look at some more passages that talk in that same language. First John chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 says for this is what love for God is to keep his commands now his commands are not a burden now stop there for a second the things of the world are a burden for us you know that and I know that there there probably for many of you in this room at least some of you there are times that you have walked closely with the Lord and there is no burden in that there is great joy in that but the further we get away from the Lord, the more burden comes into our life. And for those in this room that maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've never walked with the Lord, maybe you know a little bit about God's Word, but you've never really trusted God, and you're living just in the world, you know that burden, it is so heavy. The burden of sin and the burden of stress and the burden of pain and the burden of sorrow and the things of the world are difficult. 
That's why Paul says, then we must look to what is above. We talked about that last week. What do we see when we look above? We see the love of God and Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God. And so when we live for God and we love God more than anything, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, this is what is good. If we love God, we will keep his commands, and God's commands are not a burden to us. Verse 4. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. That's good news. If we want to conquer the world, we must be born of God. We must be God's children. Now, are you being conquered by the world today? Maybe some of you are. Maybe some of us in this room today, the world has conquered us. And you say, I don't think I can make it another day. Well, I want to tell you that through Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, you can overcome the world that maybe for years now has been overcoming you. He continues on. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Okay, so if you want to be a conqueror, if you want to have a victory over that sin and over the things of this world that so easily ensnare you, there is a way to escape. There is a way to gain victory. There is a way to conquer the things that have been conquering you. And this is the way. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you want to conquer the world today, if you want to conquer sin, if you want to conquer all those things that are on you and that are such a heavy burden to you, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ and the one who believe in the Son of God. That is where our victory comes from. Now, all these verses I've read for you today where it says victory or where it says conquer or maybe some of your translations say overcome, in all of these instances that we've looked at today, and there are plenty of more, it comes from the Greek word nikau, or the root, root word nike, uh, N-I-K-E, which is where Nike gets their name from. It means victory. We see this idea of victory, even though our translations may use different words, it really all kind of comes from the same word. There's this great victory that we see talked about over and over and over again. So regardless of what word your translation uses, they all fit, they all work. Victorious, to be an overcomer, uh, to, 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 to be able to say, look, this world is not going to get the best of me and not going to conquer me, but I am going to conquer the world. And it's not, just a, it's not just a little victory, like, oh, I've had a victory. It's a great victory. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, 36 and 37. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. The Greek word there, hooper nikau, which is, which is an incomparable victory. Just a great grand victory. Just to, just to conquer something and just shatter it. That's the, that's the Greek word there when it says the, um, that we are more than victorious. Paul says this is the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. That even if doing the work of the Lord leads to our death, even if the, the work of the Lord comes with difficulty, we have not lost. Now sometimes we may see that, you know, we see people doing the Lord's work and we see that maybe a missionary that gets killed in a far land or people going in to do God's work and you say, man, it doesn't seem fair. It's not right. Surely God's people should be delivered. Surely the enemy should be the one that suffers. 
But it is God's people who are more than conquerors. So even in this life, when we, when we live for the Lord and it's difficult, and it may, it may be that, that, that we have the appearance of losing, we have not lost. We are victorious through Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. And so there's a promise for us in God's Word that Jesus gives. In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll read there, if you want to read this week, you can. You'll read about seven churches that these, that these messages are being given by Jesus to these churches. These were literal churches of the day that, that, that the book of Revelation was written. And in all of these different letters to the churches, there's one phrase that you see in all seven of them. And that is a message to the victor. A message to the one who stands firm in Jesus Christ. A message to the one who doesn't abandon the faith. A message to the one who says, look, I'm not going to give in to the ways of this world. I'm going to stand firm for God. A message to the one who in the midst of trials and tribulation and persecution say, it is worth standing for God even if I lose my life because I will be more than a conqueror. Through Jesus Christ. My life may end in this world, but God will raise me for all of eternity through Jesus Christ. We must look to what is above. Our life is precious, praise God. This world is difficult, but we must know that, that God calls us to do His work and to live for Him and to stand for Him in whatever difficulties we may face and whatever our end in this world may be, we will be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We will be victorious. And time and time again, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus says toward the end of all of those letters to the churches, to the victor, to the one who stands by me, and he gives a variety of different things, it's going to be a great blessing to you. Now the problem, let us not forget, for the Hebrew audience here, is that they were... Jewish Christians, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They appear to have been living for Jesus Christ for some period of time. And now they were facing persecution of some sort. And they were being tempted to turn back to the old sacrificial system, the old priesthood, the old sacrifice of animals. They were being tempted to turn from Jesus to something else. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't turn because victory comes through the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Jesus says again and again, and some of those churches uh, and, and that he writes those letters to in Revelation, not all of those are doing good. Some of them he really has to get on hot and heavy. Those are good passages for us to read because maybe some of those things apply to us sometimes. And Jesus says, you better straighten yourself out. I'm paraphrasing here. We need to read God's Word because sometimes it speaks to us in these ways. But Jesus said, look, don't follow the way of sin. If you're doing good, he tells some of the churches, keep doing good. And if you're not, he who has an ear, let him hear. And to the victor, the one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the one who stands firm with Jesus Christ. In the last letter to the last church of Laodicea, this is what Jesus says in Revelation 3, 21. The victor... I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. And so we find strength knowing that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that Jesus is seated on the throne of God. And what does Jesus say to us? That to the victor, we will sit on the throne with Jesus Christ. 
But we're not sitting yet because we still have work to do. Jesus is seated because he has done his work. But Jesus calls you and I to do the work. What work is that? I don't know. It's different for all of us. It's important that we pray to God and say, Okay, God, I want to be about your work. And maybe through reading God's Word, maybe just simply spending time in God's Word is is how God's going to reveal to you what He wants you to do. He certainly will. God's Word speaks of all kinds of things that He desires for His believers to do and the things that are good that God calls us to. If you don't spend time in God's Word, you need to spend time in God's Word. You may say, well, God doesn't ever speak to me. Well, are you listening? Are you seeking Him? Are you so busy with desires of the world and, and the stresses of the world that you don't ever think twice about God? Do you ever for a moment pick up God's Word and just read it and think about it? Do you pray to God and say, God, speak to me. God, reveal to me. God, let your Holy Spirit through me see how you want me to work and what you want me to do. God, I want to be about your work. And too many times as Christians, we want to sit down when our work is not done. Jesus has sat down because his work is finished. But so long as we have breath in our lungs and we're able to do, then God, I believe, wants his people to live for him. And what does that look like? Well, I don't know. I don't think it necessarily looks like everybody has to be a missionary or everybody has to be a preacher or everybody has to do this big grand thing. It may be something so simple that God wants you to do. It may simply being able to, to call somebody that you know is hurting and say, look, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I've been praying for you. Maybe that's all God's calling you to do. You think that's not nothing. It is something. When you're the one on the other side of that call and your life is falling apart and you get a phone call from a brother or sister and they say, I love you and God loves you, that's something. And too many times I think we miss the little things, if we can call them little things, that God calls us to do because we think, oh, we all need to be missionaries. We all need to sell everything and move to Uganda. We all need to do this. We all need to do that. Some people God calls to that. And maybe God's calling you to that. But maybe God wants you to do the smaller things. Maybe God has not entrusted you with a lot today because you have not done good with the little. So maybe today you need to say, God, I want to be in your will as Jesus was in your will. God, I want to be about building your kingdom as Jesus built your kingdom. Maybe God has a work for you to do today. Let us be faithful to do the work that God has placed before us. And it is a work that is not always easy. It may be that the will of God in your life today is to simply forgive somebody that you're holding a grudge against, somebody who has done wrong to you. I don't know what it may be. There's a million things it may be, but chances are you probably already know. God may have already been working on your heart for days or for weeks or months, and you may already know what God is calling you to do and how you can serve God and how you can live for God. And don't for one second say, well, yeah, but this ain't very much. Don't do that. Whatever it may be, as small as it may seem, if you feel like God has called you to do a work in some certain way, then live and fulfill the will of God and do what God has called you to do. Jesus came and he, and he left the world a better place than it was when he found it. Do we do the same thing? What can we say of our life about the choices that you have made this week and this month and throughout your lifetime? Have you made choices that are going to be good, that are for an impact of the kingdom of God, that are going to make a difference in people's lives? Or are you simply 
living for yourselves. That's the real temptation, right? Is that we is that we're kind of selfish. I mean, we're just we want to live for ourselves. We want our own comfort. We want to do our own thing. And we get so focused on that sometimes that we don't do the things of God. But it's important for us to say, okay, we're going to follow the example of Jesus. We want to live for what God calls us to do. And we want to leave this world a better place than when we have found it. So maybe there are some things in your life today that you need to clean up. Maybe there are some things in your life today that God's calling you to, and maybe you just need to say yes. Maybe there are some things of this world that are beating down on you, and they are very heavy, and you say, I cannot overcome. Well, I got good news for you today. We have one in Jesus Christ who is an overcomer, and he gives us the ability to overcome because he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let us be those today who seek Jesus Christ. There is victory, there is deliverance, and none other than Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. And the work that Jesus did means that there is work for us to do because that is exactly what Jesus has called us to. So let us be those who go out into the world and make disciples. Let us be those who teach them the Word of God. Let us be those who teach by our actions and by God's very Word. But let us be those who make a difference in this world. The world needs to see the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus brought. When He was crucified and resurrected, He brought hope. That's a hope that some of you in this room have found today because you've put your faith in Him and you've experienced victory living that victory today. That's a hope that perhaps some of you in this room have not found today. And you have not found the victory. And you are being conquered by the world. But I want to tell you, Jesus wants to take you out from that burden. He wants to lift you up. He wants to give you victory over the sin in your life. Let us look to the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high today. So that we will be those who put our faith in him and follow through by living for him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, we thank you for your good word today, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to be about your work, dear Lord. We see the work that Jesus has done, and we rejoice in that. But God, we also don't want to forget the commands that Jesus has given to his disciples and to us as well, dear Lord, that we continue to do that work. So let us, God, be those who build your kingdom, not on anything we have done, but on what Jesus Christ has done, God, that we continue to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, maybe there are some here today and they have not experienced the hope that is in Jesus Christ. They have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. God, maybe the world and the stresses of the world and the sin of the world look so big to them today and they don't see a way out. God, I pray that they would look above today, that they would look above what the world shows them that they would look above to your Son, the one seated at your right hand, dear Lord, the one who is victorious. God, I pray today that we would be those who are the victors that Jesus spoke of in Revelation 3.21, that we are those who keep our faith in Jesus Christ, who put our faith in Jesus Christ, God, who live for you and who live for your word. God, maybe there are things that you're calling some in this room to today. God, you call us all to serve you in one way or another. Maybe it's the big things that come to our mind, dear Lord, or maybe it's something just as small as giving somebody a hug and telling them that they are loved, dear Lord, whatever it may be. Let us not feel like that we are unuseful because we can't do the big things. But God, let us all learn how to be obedient to you in the small things. Because, dear Lord, perhaps the smallest things we do may have 
the biggest impact for your kingdom. God, let us be about your work and let us be about your will, that we are not tempted to live for ourselves, that we are not tempted to do the things that we desire, but God, that in all things we seek to do what you desire, that in all things we seek to live for Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that as we come here today, we can rejoice in who Jesus is. We can rejoice that we have freedom. We can rejoice that there is forgiveness of sins because Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.